stage left. John 21. This whole Gospel is really your life. This whole chapter is your life. If you're a leader, you need to understand the last chapter of the Gospel of John because this is you. This is not just Peter and John and some disciples and a big idea that Jesus had for them. This is His idea for you and you're gonna see how He empowers you to fulfil His big idea, all right? This is gonna be quite revelatory, I hope, quite exciting. And uh, let's just get into it. Obviously, the resurrection is history. You all understand that. Um, Jesus' followers are still hurting. They're still coming to grips with His, resur- with his um, crucifixion, still trying to figure out the whole resurrection stuff. And in the midst of his despondency and in the midst of his discouragement, Peter decides to do what you decide to do when you're discouraged. Peter reaches for his strong suit. He reaches for what he knows. He knows fishing. He's been a fisherman all his life. So Peter decides, I'm going fishing. Now, for Peter, it was fishing. For you, it's something else, but it's what you grab for because that's what you're confident with, that's what you know, and you're assured that you can get some success there. So Peter goes for that. And the other thing about Peter too, which I think is indicative of you, <clears throat> is that Peter's a leader. <clears throat> Reason you're here is because you're a leader. And so when Peter goes fishing, he doesn't go fishing on his own. Um, others go fishing with him because whatever Peter does, he has a tendency to draw others with him. Well, this is a bit of deja vu for Peter because he's throwing in the nets and he's a fisherman, but he's ain't catching no fish. Um, and what happens next is dead set, like a, I've been there before, like a deja vu moment, because the voice of Jesus comes like it did in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus says, Cast your net on the other side. Right. So you all know that. Cast your net on the other side. Do that. And of course, there's this whole bunch of fish that comes manifest. However, this time is different to last time. Last time when Jesus said this, He was in the boat. This time, He's not only not in the boat, this time, we're not even sure it's Him. He's on the shore. He's just kind of, you can make out His figure, but you can't tell His facial features. You can't really identify Him. We recognise the voice. We're pretty sure it's Jesus. But this is so important for you because what it's saying to us, to me and to you is this, that you can't always see Jesus in the boat, but you can hear His voice. And when He doesn't seem to be with you, but you can hear His voice, the outcome is still the same because they bought, they caught all the fish. Difference was He was in the beast teaching them something, right? You won't always see me. I won't always be physically present but my voice will still carry over the water. You can still respond to my voice and success will be the result if you can hear me. And Jesus says, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And that's what He says to you too, it's symbolic. Fishermen of men. Um, In ancient times, language was symbolic. And the whole idea behind this, making fishes of men, it's taking uh, something from darkness, chaotic, uncertainty, that's the sea, right? Um, In ancient times, the sea was treated with suspicion. 
There was a whole bunch of superstition around sailors and the sea and nobody knew what was going to happen and, you know, what's below the surface, we don't know. (laughs) You know, there was no submarines, there was no scuba divers. Uh, Even today, you know, even some of the the deep troughs of the ocean aren't really all that well known. Uh, But of course, 2,000 years ago, you know, uh, you couldn't go much deeper than you could simply dive. And so whenever people don't know about something, they're very suspicious of it and they treat it as chaotic. They treat it as, uh, as dangerous, as disorderly, uncertain. And what Jesus is saying is this, I'm commissioning you to take people from a chaotic darkness and bring them into an ordered light. That's what it means to be a fisher of men. Right? It's not just you know, getting people to pray a prayer. It's taking people from one culture. And in their minds, the culture of the sea was dark, chaotic, disordered, uncertain, into the exact opposite. Something that was light, certainty. There was a sense of order about it. And that is what you are to do. Now, let's, let's drill down on this for just a moment. Um, before we get into the interaction with Peter, which gets very close to the heart for you and for me, uh, but we're still building what what the big picture is because every culture has a structure and the culture and the structure of 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 this age, of the world, right? You know what I'm saying by the world. I'm not referring to the physical planet. I'm referring to to, uh, the counterculture of the kingdom, the world. Um, in the world, of course, it's indeed every man for himself. Uh, in the world, it is a sense of uh, I use my power and my influence to protect myself. Uh, in the world, I use my money for my self-gratification. It's my money, I'll spend it, I'll do what I want to do with my money because it's mine. Right, we all feel a bit like that about our money. Uh, my sexuality, right? Sex, that's something that is for me to enjoy. It's mine. And I will use people and I will do whatever I can to, to get ahead or to get the experiences I'm looking for because it's all about me. The culture of this world is all about uh, individual happiness and personal protection. That's the culture of this world, right? You see that all the time. You know, you, you, there's a whole bunch of uh, um, businesses out there making all their dollars off promising to protect you, you know, putting up screens and doors and cameras and whatever, because you have to protect yourself. You have to lock the car. You've got to lock the door. Um, the, the stance of this world is this, isn't it? This is the stance of this world, right? Uh, I'm, I'm secure and, and I'm, look, don't touch me, buddy. <laughs> don't touch me. That's how most people go through life. They go through life like this, you know. Uh, I can't trust anybody. Nobody's completely on my side, right? And if you take what you put one foot out of out of place, look out, you know. You cut me off in the traffic, look out, you know. (laughs) You take my place in the line, look out, right? Because it's all about my happiness and it's all about my protection. That's what drives everybody in this community. That's what we're bringing them out of. That's Corporately speaking, produces darkness and disorder. So what's the counterculture? What were the fishes of men thing, right? So what is it we're bringing people into? 
We're bringing people into the opposite of that. We're bringing people into something that's founded on personal vulnerability, not personal security, and the well-being of the community, not personal happiness. So what's driving me? What's driving me? Now, now this, is, this is shown for us in the uh, internationally recognised symbol of the church. The internationally recognised symbol of the church is the cross. Exactly, the cross. Everybody's heard of the Red Cross. And whenever you see a cross, you think there must be a church. You talk to anybody out there and they'll tell you that. That is probably the best known brand symbol in the world. Um, you know, if, it's, if there's any challenge, it's probably the, the dynamic ribbon from Coke, right? Other than that, it's the cross. I personally think the cross is probably more universally recognised than, the, 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 than Coke's dynamic ribbon. But, you know, I think they're by far and away the two biggest and, and best known symbols in the world. But think about this. Think about the internationally recognised symbol of the cross. When I'm standing like this, I'm incredibly vulnerable, Right? So the culture of the kingdom is filled with people who are like this. In other words, I am exposed to you. You can do what you like to me and I can't protect myself. That's, this is a huge deal, folks. We've gone from this, protecting myself, to this, exposing myself, the cross. It's personal um, vulnerability and and the well-being of the community. Right? So it's not about, am I happy? It's not about, my money is not for my security and my happiness. My money is to help others and to nurture the group. That's what my money is for. My sexuality, if you want to get you know, uh, real honesty for a minute, my sexuality is not about my personal happiness, not about my personal gratification, Right? It is about the nurture. How many know that, that sex is like fire? You know, if it's kept in a box, it can warm the house. But once you, you know, if it gets out of the box, look out, it can burn the joint down, right? And uh, it's not about my pursuit of something that gratifies me. It's about, you know, the, the nurture of my relationship with my wife that then nurtures my family, that then nurtures the whole community. How many know that my church is nurtured more by the relationship I have with my wife than it is by the sermons that I preach on Sunday. That's what nurtures this, that's what nurtures the, the, the people. The people are nurtured by the relationship I have with my wife. It doesn't matter how clever or brilliant I am at preaching or otherwise, right? What matters is can I love this person over the long term? And, and this is about, and so, you know, my sexuality then, if you can understand that, how that works, it's, it's not about me, you know, getting something that makes me happy, and this should obviously make me happy, but you understand what I'm saying? It's not about the some short-term fix. It's about understanding that this is nurturing, not just my three children, that, you know, two are now married, and one's got a, you know, looks like this is heading in the right direction. We'll wait and see, but, you know. Um, and so not about my three children and now their families, because two of them have two children. It's not about nurturing that, as important as that is, and as much as I, like many men in this room, would, you know, you die for that. Um, uh, but it's, not, it's about nurturing our, our church. It's about nurturing our movement, to be honest. It's about nurturing our community, as we're going to get on to uh, in the next um, 
in the next uh, session. Th- this is interesting because Jesus said, right? Jesus said that that uh, ye are the light of the world, or that um, he said that <clears throat> uh, ye are a city on a hill. Now, in, in the Old Testament, the old, sorry, in the old versions of the Bible, the, the Old King James, um, they differentiate between ye and thee. Ye is uh, is, is a plural. Thee is a singular, and it wasn't it wasn't thee is the light of the world. It's that ye are the light. In other words, corporately, we are the light of the world, right? Corporately, no one can be a city on a hill on their own, right? Corporately, it, um, uh, you, you, we are to um, nurture the world, not by my, just my life. It's us corporately together. Often, we as a church put on individuals the pressure to do things that really sits on us all. It's not about thee, it's about ye. It's like saying use, right? Some of the, the newer translations kind of missed out a little bit and, and tend to make it more specific. But when they went fishing, how many know they didn't have LV reels back then, right? Didn't have Shimano back then. When they went fishing, they went with nets. It was a many-man operation. Yeah, uh, it was a group, group thing. It wasn't an individual thing, right? It's not that you're a fisher of men, it's that we are, ye are fishers of men. What we have to do, folks, yours and my assignment, should we choose to accept it, right? This is mission impossible, really, outside of the Holy Spirit it is, is to create a community that's there, not for its personal gratification, but that's there to nourish the community. It's not there to protect itself, it's there to be vulnerable to one another, right? We've got to take people from this and in to that. That's the message that he's sending to Peter and that's the message that he's sending to us all. And look at who's in the boat, just quietly. It's it's rather interesting who's in this boat. There's four guys in the boat, right? Um, And there couldn't be a better four guys. Um, Nathaniel's in the boat. Now, some of you will know how Nathaniel found Christ. Remember, remember, you know, he saw him. He said, I saw you under the tree. And, and Nathaniel, oh, Lord, you saw me under the tree. You can do anything, you know. Uh, Nathaniel's like the father of all the charismatic flakes, you know. It's like, oh, wow, he's got a word for me. Oh, wow, it's amazing, you know. And then in the, in the boat, um, you've got Thomas. Well, Thomas is like the father of, of uh, all of your kind of, you know, your hard-nosed fundamentalists, you know. I don't believe nothing. <laughs> you say, you've said, I want to touch. I won't even believe him if I can see him. I'll only believe him if I can physically touch the nail scars in his hands. Give me your proof text or shut up. That's what he's saying, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's the other end. You've got the charismatic cra- crazies and you've got this, the fundamentalists, the hard-nosed fundamentalists. You've got Thomas and Nathaniel, the father of both in the boat. They shouldn't get on, but there they are. Like they, they, they can't exist in the same church, but here they are in the same boat. You've got Peter and John. I mean, you know, John's a thinker. Right? John thinks things through. John's the first person to say, it could be Jesus over there, yelling out, the, you know, we've heard those words before. I think it's Jesus. Um, John's a thinker. John wrote a lot more than, you know, than, than anybody else, obviously, in the boat. Um, he possibly is not as great a thinker as Paul, but he's kind of up there. 
And, uh, but Peter, uh, Peter's the actor. Peter do- dives out of the boat. <laughs> Peter thinks, I think it is. <laughs> so you've got John, who's this methodic thinking kind of dude, you know, who doesn't move until he understands the uh, ramification of it. And then you've got Peter, who tends to, you know, uh, move first and think later. <laughs> And he sort of dives in. What's he going to swim all the way to shore? We don't know. But, but there, there they are all in the boat. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful picture of your church, frankly. <laughs> People who shouldn't get on. <laughs> Maybe it's a wonderful picture of your leadership team. I don't know, Howard. People who shouldn't get on. But here we all are, stuck in the boat. Loving one another because it's this different culture, right? In the world, those four people would hate each other. In the kingdom, they love each other because it's a different culture. We're taking people from here and we're bringing people to there. All right. And so now we get into the serious stuff. <laughs> they come into shore and they have kippers on the beach. Uh, they have breakfast And in verse 15 of the last chapter of the Gospels, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Do you love me more than these? What's he talking about these? He's talking about the nets and the boats and the and the fishing, and the fish, and that. And what he's saying to Peter, because, you know, I know some of you are into fishing. I know that. <laughs> um, but what he's saying to Peter is not that. It's not, do you love me more than fishing? Because for Peter, fishing is not a pastime. For Peter, fishing is not what he's interested in and what he does as a hobby. For Peter, fishing is his cultural definition of success. For Peter, he's a fisherman. It's his cultural definition. This is who I am, right? When I catch fish, it's because I'm successful. People know, oh, Peter, he catches lots of fish. What he's saying to Peter, and this is what he's saying to you. He's saying, do you love me more than your cultural definition of success? Now, what is that for you? It might well be, you know, well, I'm the pastor. You know, I'm a successful pastor. That's my cultural definition of success. And, and I love the fact that that's my identity. And I revel in that fact. Well, Jesus would say, do you love me more than that? Maybe you're a homemaker and you've got children. And, you, you know, you, you're, 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 you, you look after your husband and you look after your family. And you're, you know, a Proverbs 31 woman or whatever. And that's great. But do you love Jesus more than that identity? That's what, he's, that's what he's saying to Peter. Do you love me more than the, what you do to get the, the affirmation and the accolades of others? That, 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 that's, that's what he's saying. And it's, it's a profound thing. And he says, well, okay, okay, if you do, then here's your assignment. Feed my lambs. Um, you notice he doesn't say, feed my cats and dogs. <laughs> and there's a good reason for that. Because if you feed a dog... The dog will reciprocate. The dog will love you back. The dog will look up to you, right? The dog will pant and and lick your feet and, you know, come running when you call its name. The dog will love you, right? And if you feed a cat, the the cat will tolerate you. You know, the cat will look down on you. Uh, The cat will condescendingly kind of, you know, embrace you into its world. Uh, But you'll get something even from a cat. You'll get something. Feed a lamb and you get nothing. (laughs) feed a lamb 
It'll suck all the living juice out of your bottle, wander off into the paddock, and before you know it, be drinking from the juice of someone else's bottle if someone else comes along. <laughs> the, the lamb has no sense of, there's no, to use what's flying around at the moment, no quid pro quo, right? There's no, anyone watching the whole Donald Trump thing in America right now? There's no scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. That's, that's you know, the whole thing with, with uh, Ukraine at the moment and Trump. It's all, you know, I'll do something good for you if you, you know, we can get letters in church. I'll preach, I'll minister, I'll do what I can, but you pay your tithe and be kind and nice to me in return. <laughs> you make me feel important in Return. Um, they're not uh, my lambs, they're his lambs. They're not my kind of people, right? They're not middle-aged white guys, middle-class middle-aged white guys that I kind of get on with. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not about my kind of people. They're his kind of people. They're his lambs. They're not my lambs. He says, feed my lambs. What he's saying to Peter, what he's saying to me what he's saying to you is this. Can you go to people who don't make you feel good, who are not your kind of people, and lift them up? That's what I'm telling you to do. Not, not, not the people that kind of stroke you the kind of way that you like to be stroked, not the kind of people that you would naturally be in affinity with, because they're mine. And what he's saying is this. Don't let ministry fulfill you. That's my job. I will fulfill you. Because if you get fulfilled in ministry, you'll end up manipulating people to fill that need within you. And <laughs> right? if you kind of get the thing of, well, you know, people come to listen to me preach, you know, because I'm a pretty good darn preacher. And <laughs> if you get that sense of, you know, well, I'm leading this church because I'm the boss around it. Once you start to get something in you fed from the lambs, you're on a way to disaster. Right? Jesus says, I will fulfill you so that you can give and not manipulate people. And uh, Jesus said again, Simon in verse 16 and 7, verse 15 and 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me more? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. A third time he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more? Wow. Verse 17 is a shocker. I don't know if you've got a Bible. I guess you do. Uh, <laughs> Verse 17, you might want to underline this because this, this could be really important for you at some point between now and the future. Because have a look at this. Like this, is, this is kind of like, like show-stopping stuff. It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus. Ouch. Ouch. Um, do you know anyone who's ever been hurt in church life? <laughs> Do you, ever, do you ever think to yourself, oh, I wish they never got hurt? Jesus hurt people. Peter is hurt. Jesus hurt him on purpose. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus didn't hurt Peter accidentally. Have you ever hurt someone accidentally? I have. Oh, John, I'm sorry about that. Didn't mean I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking or whatever. Jesus strategically took a strike at Peter and hurt him. Ouch! Next time, I mean, how would you like to be Peter's parents? You know, he's following Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's following. He says, great, it's great. Oh, dear, things have gone bad. Peter's now wandered away. Oh, this is no good. Please, please Lord, bring, bring Peter back. Bring Peter back. Oh, he's talking with Jesus. This is great. Oh, my gosh. Jesus just slapped him. 
That wasn't what I was praying for. I was praying he'd come back. I was praying Jesus would embrace him. I prayed Jesus would say, there, there, Peter, everything's going to be okay. Jesus just slapped Peter. He, you know what, metaphorically. He didn't physically hurt him, obviously. But how many know the hurt of the heart is a lot more difficult to get over than merely a physical sense of pain? Peter got hurt. And Jesus was the culprit. And I can only think this. Can I stop here for a minute? I can only think this. I can only think that Jesus isn't finished with hurting people in the church. And I just wonder who he's using today. Maybe I shouldn't. Okay, maybe I should just move on. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's getting a bit hard. Um, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know. You know that I love you. And Jesus said then, feed my sheep. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on here because you need to know what's going on here. The reason you need to know what's going on here, because what's going on here is going on here. And if you don't know what's going on here, you might misinterpret what's going on here. So I suggest that you listen pretty carefully now. Because when we're in the domain of hurt, this is going to go one way or the other. It could go real bad. This could go real bad. And you know of cases where this has gone real bad. And maybe the reason it's gone real bad is because the people didn't understand the bigger picture of what was going on here. But you know, as well as I, that only days earlier, as recorded in Mark 14, 29, Peter said, even if all fall away, I will not. And then he was asked three times, are you with Jesus? No, never heard of him. Are you with Jesus? With who? I don't know him. Are you with, you know, three times, right? What was Peter thinking when he said to Jesus, that's not going to happen? When he said to Jesus, I will not deny you. I won't walk away from you. These others might. That's what he says. He says, even if all fail you, right? In other words, the rest of these 11 blokes are riffraff compared to me. <laughs> I am better than they are. That's what he's saying. I'm not, not going to go down. I mean, just take a look at them for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, you know, I know they're probably the best you could have chosen, Lord, but, you know, I think they might not last the distance. But I will. Here's my question. Was Peter lying? I don't think he was. I don't think Peter had his fingers like this behind his back. I won't let you down, Jesus. No, I'm not going to deny you. <laughs> no, no. Um, Peter was, was sincere. Peter was sincerely deceived. Sincerely self-deceived. Just like me. And just like you. We are sincerely self-deceived. We think we are better than we actually are sometimes. And, and, and what Jesus is doing here and what's so profound, what's so important about this moment in time is that Jesus is preparing Peter for his future. Peter 
going to create this culture where people are going to go from this culture to that culture. And, and if he doesn't deal with this, it's not going to happen. And if you don't deal with this, it ain't going to happen for you either. That's why when I said this, we're going to see what it is God's called us to do. Then we're going to see how it happens. And, and, and my, my kind of gut feel is, is that people don't understand this. People have been marinating the juices of their own self-righteousness so long, they're oblivious to their self-deceit. <laughs> you and me included, folks. Peter had no idea. I know you guys were in Rome just a few months ago. I've been to Rome once a couple of years ago. You probably, some of the others have been there. You've seen, you know, St. Peter's Basilica. I mean, my gosh, what a, what a monument. I mean, what an edifice. Do you think this fisherman 2,000 years ago had any idea that one of the greatest structures in the world would one day be built in his name? <laughs> he had no idea. <laughs> he had no idea that Peter would become a common name um, in, you know, Western civilization. Peter, everybody knows someone called Peter, right? As a Peter, uh, all, Peter's are, are, are as, you know, as common as Mart, aren't they? Well, Peter had no idea that a, a vast percentage of males in 2,000 years' time would be named after. He had no idea. He had no idea that he was about to start something that was going to affect the civilization. He had no idea the significance of what God had in store for him. No idea. Right now, all he's thinking is, you mongrel Jesus. <laughs> You've hurt me. You've exposed me to me. And I just don't like it. How many know that Peter honestly, in Mark, when Mark records where he says that, how many know Peter honestly believed that he was never going to deny Jesus? He honestly thought that about himself. Honestly. Jesus didn't. Jesus could see right through his facade. Jesus knew who he really was, just like he knows who you really are, just like he knows who I really am. And we're not always what we understand ourselves to be. Peter was not who he understood himself to be. Now, here's the problem, right? And this, you've got to get this. When you see the dark side of who you really are, what are you going to do? You're going to crumble in a mess and go, oh, I'm really a very bad person. <laughs> What a horrible person am I? Oh my goodness, I can't believe I am so bad. I need to step down because someone else obviously is better than me who can do this. What happens? What happens next? You've got to watch because this is just so important. He says in verse 18, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, here we go, here we go. You will stretch out your hands. Hello. Yeah. And someone else will just lead you where you don't want to go. And it's like John's writing this. <laughs> and John's thinking, someday someone's going to read this thing and think, what the heck's he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. So it's kind of like we have an editor's comment. The next verse is like an editorial comment where John says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which would follow. <laughs> this is John's editorial comment. Um, Peter would glorify God. Then he said, then he said, follow me. Here's the thing. Now that you know this, 
right? Because you're a good person, because you're here, because you fundamentally understand the call of God upon your life, you, you, you go, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get hurt, but I'm still going to keep following Jesus. In fact, the fact that what James was talking about earlier, you know, the fact that you've been there, Steve, 15 years, you've been hurt, mate, but you're still there, right? You don't stay anywhere for more than 10 minutes, really, if you just can't plow through hurt. But, 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 but here's the thing. I don't think you can get through it properly or you can get through it um, uh, the manner under which God has called you to if you didn't understand what the verse way before this, which I, I, I kind of, well, I didn't uh, um, address it on purpose because I'm going to address it now. In, in, chapter, uh, in chapter 21, which is, of course, where we're getting all this out of, uh, verse 5, Jesus calls out to them in the boat from the very beginning, and he calls them friends. He says, friends. He calls Peter and John and Thomas and Nathaniel. He calls them friends. Now, the word that he uses there, friends, is a deeply affectionate word. If you go back and study that word in the original language, it's not just something you just sort of say, hey, g'day, mate, how are you? It's kind of like dudes, lads, guys, mates. Uh, uh, it's a colloquial term that insinuates a deep level of affection. And, and, and I guess here's the point. The point is, you can't do this if first you don't have that. If you don't have a deep level of affection with Jesus Christ, if you don't know how much Jesus loves you and how much he's accepted you and how much he wants to pour out his blessing and his, uh, and his power upon your life, you'll go up and down on the acceptance and on the accolades and on the rejection of man. And you can't afford it. You can't afford it, right? There is a dark side in you. There is a dark side in me. God knows it and calls us friends anyhow. He doesn't, doesn't judge you on the dark side of who you are. He loves you on the basis of who he's called you to be. And he calls these guys friends. You cannot open your arms to the world and... Continue to do so for an extended period of time unless Jesus is your friend. If you don't, I'll tell you how you'll end up. Cynical, angry, religious, entitled, and fruitless. That's how you'll end up. Why don't these people treat me better? What's wrong with these people? I've given them the best of my life. I've done, uh, for many, I just laboured year after year after year and people don't seem to appreciate the effort and the gift that I bring. And you'll end up cynical. You'll end up burnt out. If you don't understand what it is we've been called to do, in making ourselves vulnerable to the lambs that Peter fed, and in the end, they crucified him. <laughs> but he changed the world. And you can't do that, and I can't do that without the affection and the relationship with Jesus. That's what releases you to do this and then get slap, 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 slap. Peter was crucified, but continued to do that. It all comes back to your walk with Jesus, your relationship with him. Let me give you three things, and then we'll, we'll finish this um, 21st chapter of the book John, three things that you have to do, 
right? Three things that you have to do to make it. The first thing is feast with him. Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man hears, opens up, I'll come in and sup with him. What's going on on the, on the beach? Before all this starts is he's eating. Peter and, jo- and, and Jesus are eating. Jesus has just afforded Peter's great catch of fish. And now he's cooking them on the, on the bar before him. He, he's building connection. You've got to build connection with Jesus every day. You've got to build connection with Jesus, not because you're ministering for Him, not because you've got to do something for Him, but because you love Him. You've got to give Him your attention. You know the greatest asset you have is not your time. The greatest asset you have is not your money. The greatest asset you have is not your health. The greatest asset you have is your attention. That's the greatest thing you have. You'd be surprised how powerful your attention is. You put your attention to something, you watch it change. You watch it multiply. You watch it grow. It's all about your attention. Put your attention to Jesus for the sake of Jesus. Hang out with Jesus. Read the Word. Get lost in the presence of the Holy Spirit just for its own sake. Not because you have to do something for Him. Not because you have a position for Him, but because of whose you are and who He is to you. Feast with Jesus. Have that fish on the, on the beach, metaphorically speaking, whatever that looks like for you in your, your world, that time where there's no one else but you and Jesus and you, you're able to you know, put it on flight mode, as John Cameron spoke about at the conference. You, know, you can just seek after Him for nothing else other than for you and for Him. I'm not seeking after Him for a word for the church. I'm not seeking after Him for direction for, for, for the people. I'm not seeking after Him because of some disaster in my family. I'm not seeking after Him because I've got these questions I need answers for. I'm seeking after Him because of Him. Number one. Number two, fail with Him. Fail with Him. How, how many know um, God wasn't shocked when Peter denied Him three times? God was in there going, oh, I can't. Can you, can you believe that? He promised it. He promised me. You lied to me, Peter. You're a liar. I can't trust you, Peter. You say one thing and then you go and do another. You're dead to me. You're out. Finished. I'm done with you. I can't work with liars. Can you work with liars? I can work with people sometimes who are lazy. I can work with people sometimes lazy, but I can't work with liars, Peter. You're a liar. You're finished. That might be you, but it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> um. Fail with Him. If you mess up, and you do, and you will, don't hide it. Don't think, oh my gosh, I've got to do so much better. I don't believe that's in me. Can you believe that was in me? Oh my gosh, I hope God never finds out. He won't like me then. (laughs) You know, we hide things from one another because we're fearful of how they might respond if they knew what we were really like. Right? Your wife might be like that, but God's not. (laughs) There might be people in your world that are like that. There might be people in your world, if they knew what you were struggling with, if they knew what was going on in the deep recesses of your heart, would put you in some kind of naughty corner. But God doesn't do that. Jesus isn't the ACC, right? I'm not going to suspend, you know, He doesn't have to suspend your credentials for three months. I have to do that, but He doesn't. (laughs) You know, Jesus doesn't come to Peter and say, yeah, you denied me. That's right. After you promised that you wouldn't, 
you clearly got some problems. I'm going to set up some counselling for you. I'm going to put you into, you know, a year's suspension of your credential. And in one year's time, if you, you know, talk to your counsellor and you're coming through and you're doing well, we'll bring you back on the team. Because we can't have people lying and deceiving publicly like this. It's even recorded in the Bible for crying out loud. <laughs> so people are going to be reading about this for, you know, for generations. And if I just let you get away with this, my gosh, there'll be ministers and pastors lying everywhere. <laughs> he doesn't put him in some kind of time out. He doesn't give him some kind of suspension. This is, it goes like this. Peter, can you see the dark side of yourself? Yes, I can. Howie, great, you're in charge. That's all I care about. <laughs> it goes like that. Now that you know, you can run the show. <laughs> That's all I care about. I just care about that you know that you're self-deceived. Once you know of your self-deceit, you can be the first Pope for all I care, <laughs> basically is what he just said. <laughs> and the last thing is follow. Um, verses 20 20. Peter turned and saw behind him, the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Don't you, John's writing this. Don't you love it? He doesn't say, and he saw me or he saw John, the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, <laughs> I love the way he refers to himself. Uh, the one who had leaned close to Jesus in real time. It's not enough just to say, I'm the one who Jesus loved. I'm also, but by the way, I'm the one who was leaning close to him at meal time. Just want you to know that. <laughs> Lord, um, and asked, Lord, who's going to betray you? Peter saw him, that's John, and he said to Jesus, what about him? <laughs> right? That's, Jesus has just told Peter, okay, you're going to feed the lambs and they're going to crucify you, right? That's, that's your future. And then Peter goes, oh, that's pretty full on. <laughs> that's pretty serious. He looks around, he sees John, he goes, well, what's going to happen to him? <laughs> if this is going to happen to me, surely what's going to happen to him is just as bad. Tell him. <laughs> I don't want to be the only one carrying this great hope for tomorrow. <laughs> And Jesus answered him, if I want him to live until I come, what that's, what's that to you? And then he says this, follow me. And there's the last one, right? Feast with me, fail with him. Feast with him, fail with him and follow him. And basically what he's saying to Peter is this, because Peter, you know, he, he says this thing to Peter, okay, you're going to finish up getting crucified. Peter must have got it. John had to give us some editorial comment, but Peter understood it at the time. And uh, so Peter looks around and goes, well, what, what's, what's, what's John Rewald doing? <laughs> is he having some trouble? Because i got some trouble. Is he extending his building? What, what, has he got a new premises? You know, it's easy to, to look at what someone else has got and compare what you've got to them. And what Jesus has just said to Peter, don't do that. Just follow me. All you have to do is ask, how would love respond in this set of circumstances? Do that and just keep doing it. That's how you follow Jesus, just by the way. How does love respond in every set of circumstances? And you keep going. I, I tell you this because it tells you the story of you. This is not Peter. This is you. God has a plan for you, a pathway for you, and it's different than he has a pathway for me. And frankly, his pathway for me shouldn't concern you at all. You should just pray for me. I should just pray for you. And whatever God's pathway for you is, is a different pathway to me. Let's not get into this comparison trap. Let's not think that we have arrived. Let's understand that we're on the journey. But let's appreciate the fact that along that way, 
Jesus is going to use certain people that are going to hurt us. And, and in that hurt, you're going to ask yourself some questions like, you know, maybe I could do something else. <laughs> maybe I could do fishing because I could make a lot of money fishing or, or whatever else. You know, I could go back to the mines. Why am I doing this? Why am I wasting my time laboring and, and laying down a labor of love for these people who just come one minute and then they're gone the next? You know, I spent three weeks fasting and praying for this sermon on Sunday and it didn't even turn up. The bludges. And... <laughs> You know, like, what's, what the heck is going on here? And, uh, and we can forget. We can forget that we just got to do what we're called to do. And we don't do it because the sheep. We do it because of the king. We don't do it because it makes me feel good. We do it because he's asked me to do it. And I leave the consequences. I leave the outcome to him. Because he put me here in the first place. So it's his problem. And I'm not going to get all upset because this one's doing better or that one's got this or this one's got that. I'm just going to move forward following Him, feasting with Him and failing with Him. I'm going to move forward feasting with Him, failing with Him and following Him. And I'm going to reach the destination and I'm going to have the effect I'm going to be the person that he has called me to be. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I know this room is filled with people, and leaders here, Lord, uh, that have, just like Peter, have come to a point, place of, of being hurt. And uh, it's never nice. It's never nice, Lord, particularly when the one who brings what's in you to the fore is closer to you, the closer to you, the harder it is. And I know that in those moments, Lord, we tend to all think about going fishing. We tend to all think about packing it in and letting someone else do it because they're better talented or they're more gifted or whatever. Lord, I pray that in those moments, Lord, that we wouldn't capitulate and fail and fall. But Lord, in those moments, we would feast with you. Lord, in those moments, we'd be able to confess the dark side of who we are and not allow that to undermine our confidence in the love you have for us and the calling you've placed upon our lives. That, Lord, we continue to follow you forward into the purpose you have for our lives and to bring about, therefore, Lord, the kingdom that you want to establish in the hearts and lives of others. We commit this to you. I commit every person here to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Okay, let's have a five-minute break. Turn around, shake someone's hand, and uh, have a bit of a chat, and then we'll come back, and we're going to do things that have changed in the last 20 years.